1: Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast where we discuss strategies and tips for bringing happier habits into our everyday lives. This week, we'll talk about why you might choose a fresh metaphor that works for you, and we'll talk about the happiness stumbling block of waiting in line. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, the five senses, good habits, human nature. I am once again in my little home office here in New York City. And joining me today from Los Angeles is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, who
0: was just in Kansas City. I'm so jealous. Yes, that's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And Gretchen, I was waiting in lines yesterday when I was flying. So this is a good topic for me. (laughs) Yes, that's good.
1: Now, before we jump in, we have a couple of updates. Elizabeth, your one-word theme for the year is step. You were saying how you were looking for sort of a good visual cue for step, and Monica had a great suggestion.
0: Yes. She said, as you discussed possible symbols for Elizabeth's steps theme, I thought of ample men. If you've ever been to Berlin, you would have seen their iconic traffic light pedestrian signals. The little walk and stop characters are very cute and recognizable. It has turned into a beloved brand and symbol of Berlin. The company has an interesting history. They have lots of great merchandise. This could be a fun symbol of step for Elizabeth. So, yeah, Gretch, I looked up the symbol. It is so cute. Um, Mm, I'm So I need to go, and yes, I need to go buy some step merch.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I thought of you when I was in Paris, because it's funny how, like, those little signs are different when you go from place to place. You you would think they're kind of universal, but they're not. And then in episode 385, uh, a listener asked for suggestions about how to deal with her husband's habit of interrupting her. And we had an interesting suggestion that I thought was actually very practical and very helpful.
0: Yeah. So this comes from Sarah. She says... With two small children and a husband who are prone to interrupting, all for various reasons at various times, I have found one trick that works for all situations and doesn't feel too rude or hurtful to implement. I hold up one finger in the wait one minute position or my hand in the stop position and just continue talking without pause. This indicates that I've heard the other person has something to say, but that they need to wait while I finish my train of thought. It also calls calls attention to the fact that they are interrupting making them more aware of the problem without shaming them. When I'm done talking I'll say, "Thank you for waiting for me to finish. What did you want to say?" I'm not sure I'd do this to people outside of my family, but for those <laughs> in my household with whom I talk and am interrupted by the most it feels pretty effective. I mean, to me
1: this sounds like a great solution because it doesn't feel hurtful, it doesn't feel snarky, my suggestion of completely falling silent.
0: Right not passive aggressive.
1: I mean, I do think you'd probably have to train yourself to remember to do it, but it feels natural. If I thought this was really like really practical.
0: Yeah, I agree with her. I'm not sure if it would work with people like at work no. or outside of the house. It does feel very personal, you know. Yeah. But um, I think within the family, it's a fantastic idea. Yeah. What's that phrase people say? Like, deal with the hand? Talk to the hand. Talk to the hand. Talk to the hand.
1: Yeah, it could feel, I think it might feel like the wrong note outside your, but I don't know, maybe kind of a one minute. It it just depends. Maybe it it just Depends. But thank you. I thought that was a really helpful suggestion. Yes. And now for the try this at home for this week. And this week is to find the metaphor that works for you. Elizabeth, we we often talk about reframing and talk about metaphors. And a friend of mine recently made a point that she she was saying how Sometimes people talk about balance. They, they're trying to get balance in their life. So that's a metaphor we're all familiar with. and And there's a lot of controversy. Like some people are like, "You shouldn't try to get balance." and so so people do question whether that's that's the right metaphor for everyone. Um And her metaphor, I thought was interesting. She said she th- thinks of her life as a notions box. So a notions box mm. is kind of like a sewing box. And, and the notions are like all the little things you need, like the buttons and the snaps and the and the needles and the thread and the pins. And, and like so she thought it was like all the compartments. And she wanted to have lots of things in different compartments. And she had to think about what compartments needed to be bigger or smaller or get bigger or shrink. And she needed to make sure that she had that none of her compartments were empty, that she wanted something in it. And I love that because I love a tackle box. You know, in my shop, I have the tackle box of the different kinds of to-do pads, but I just am very attracted to anything that has, like, little compartments and little drawers. So for me, this metaphor was incredibly compelling, much more compelling than the idea of a balance.
0: Yes, and I love the whimsy of a notions box, too. It's
1: very, yes, yes. How about you, Elizabeth? Can you think of a metaphor that does or doesn't work for you?
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting, Gretchen, because when we were talking about this, I remember that on The Fix, you know, which is the ABC show Sarah and I created with Marcia Clark, yeah, it was kind of a legal thriller, we'll call it. The metaphor we used for that show was bullet train. We said it's a bullet train. The, the network had actually said to us when they picked up the show— We love um, that the pilot is a bullet train and we want this show to be a bullet train. And it was so great to sort of have them encapsulate what they wanted. And we very Mm. much took that on ourselves and we're like, okay, it's a bullet train. And then it would really help us because when we were breaking episodes, you know, figuring out what was going to happen and cliffhangers and all of that, we would always go back to, does this feel like a bullet train? Does this episode feel like a bullet train? And if it didn't, we knew it sort of needed more. We needed to pick up the pace that also, you know, impacted our editing. We edited it in such a way that it felt like a bullet train. So that was something we just went back to again and again and again. And I think it's super helpful. Well,
1: that's an interesting point, too, about how a metaphor also maybe can help communicate to other people because it's like you sort of get it and it's the speed and the intensity and you know we're not we're not going from side to side like we're all, we're like we're heading towards our destination
0: and then Gretchen on Fantasy Island we say mm. it's a rebirth so every episode yes. we have to look at it and say is there a rebirth in this episode and if there's not once again we feel like, okay, this episode isn't where it needs to be. We have to keep going. And so that's our Fantasy Island metaphor. And again, it's super helpful for us and for us to, as you say, communicate to others. Right, because you can imagine with Fantasy Island, people could have a complete, and also since you have so
1: many actors and writers And directors coming into the show it's like somebody else fantasy island you can take that in a lot of different directions it doesn't necessarily mean rebirth it could be indulgence or or, you know but that like communicates it very quickly but it's interesting because sometimes people have different responses so a metaphor a lot of people use and and really that really resonates is a journey And I never use the journey metaphor. To me, that maybe because I'm not much of a traveler. But then I remember with the Happiness (laughs) Project, so many people said to me, oh, you can't call it the Happiness Project because a project is homework and nobody likes to do a project. Mm. And I was like, I love the metaphor. Maybe it's not even a metaphor. Like, I love a project. Yeah, I love a project. And so for them, it was like, this is part of the problem is that one thing about metaphors is that they do have connotations. And so if if a strong metaphor might repel some people as well as it attracts other people because it does carry this weight. I mean, another one that comes to mind is the kind of illness as battle. So some people like to employ that. They feel like that's a helpful metaphor for them, whereas other people really resist that metaphor. And again, it's not that there's a right way or a wrong way, but you don't necessarily have to accept the metaphor that other people are using if it doesn't feel like the right metaphor for you because it's meant to bring clarity and 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 sort of power.
0: Yeah, well, and what I love about actually spending time thinking about it and picking a metaphor is that like everything, yes. when you sort of reflect on it and think about it, it clarifies what you're going for, what you're going through, yes. what you want to be going through. So I think it's just one of those things that crystallizes in yeah. your own mind what your priorities are. Like, again, the notion Box. Right.
1: But I will say the thing about a metaphor is that they have this power. And so you really yes. do want to choose one intentionally and realize they can be misleading because they can carry associations, which may or may not be accurate. For instance, for my book of aphorisms, one I, I kind of like letting myself go with the book of aphorisms. And like a lot of things that are not aphorisms are just sort of creeping in there. It's kind of becoming another uh-huh. catch all for me. But one of the things I started collecting is metaphors for the brain, because I was thinking a lot about the brain with the five senses. And over time, what the metaphor that people use for the brain changes. So the brain has been compared to a computer, a mechanical clock, a wax block, a steam engine, a blank slate, a mill, a telegraph machine, a telephone switchboard, and a muscle. And all of these wow. carry certain associations with them, which may or may not be accurate if you're thinking about like how the brain actually functions and so a lot of times when i'm when I'm reading about the brain, they, they'll say, like, "Be careful, don't import some kind of metaphoric properties that don't actually apply to the brain
0: that's so interesting, yeah,
1: yeah, so I think this is one of these things it's it's kind of reframing adjacent, Elizabeth, I would say. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Of course, now, Gretchen, I want to know what metaphors our listeners use in their lives, and especially if you think about your life or a project or whatever it may be, your family, Yeah, and do you pick a new, fresh metaphor that works for you? I'm dying to hear, and of course, we'll share
1: them. Well, and that reminds me that one thing I, I was just reading about was like the idea of the workplace as family, And people are like, don't compare the Ah. workplace to a family. It's not a family. It's a team. Okay, then there's workplace Mm. as team, like sports team. So again, these metaphors. Yes, let us know. It's going to be fascinating to hear how people think about metaphors, how they use metaphors, communicate with metaphors. Let us know if you do try this at home on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. As always, you can go to the show notes. The show notes for this episode are at happiercast.com slash 386. And there you can find everything related to this episode.
0: Coming up, we've got a salad hack versus break. Okay, Gretchen, it is time for this week's happiness hack. This is one of those little things <laughs> that could have a big impact. Maybe it's
1: a little thing that has a little impact. This is this is not one of our more trans okay, This is yeah. not a transcendent hack. But when I saw, heard this, I was like, that's such a great point. So I was having lunch with a friend, and I, I was saying to her, that there's certain words on a menu or like when somebody's telling me what I'm eating that always make me feel like, oh, I want this. So one of them is anything blackened. Mm. I just, to me, that just sounds delicious. I'm like, sign me up. uh Yeah, charred, like that. But then I was saying like a chopped salad. I'm like, somehow a salad just sounds much tastier when it's a chopped salad. And of course it's easier to eat if it's chopped, I find. I I sometimes struggle to eat a salad. And she said, oh, do you know, if you say to a restaurant, can you chop that salad for me? Usually they will. Any salad that you're getting, even if it doesn't say it's chopped, they'll chop it for you. And I thought, this is great. Well, I can't wait to order yes. a salad. I have to say, I had not yet tried this. So actually, now I'm realizing I probably should have ordered a couple salads and see if this actually <laughs> works. But according to my friend, it works.
0: I have heard people do that. And uh, Gretchen reminds me of my friend Joe Marie, who has a restaurant in, in oh. Kansas City, The Mix. Yeah. One of the features of the mix is you can get any salad chopped. They ask, do you want that chopped? And I always choose chopped. Yes. She realized people love a chopped salad. So anyway, that made me think of that.
1: Well, and my friend was saying that when you chop things, she felt like her family ate, like if it was in the fridge, people would eat things much, Mm. they were much more likely to eat vegetables if they were chopped.
0: Okay. So chop it up.
1: Chop it up. (laughs) (laughs) And now for a stumbling block. Okay, listen, I think I'm seeing kind of a—we started out on the transcendent plane. Now we're descending into, like, the real nitty-gritty of life here. Yes. This is about waiting in line. Mm. The reason why I think this fits into the larger subject of happiness is, like, this is something that we experience all the time, like you were just experiencing it in the airport— and I think when you know more about something, when you kind of have just like a more educated awareness of your experience, it's more interesting and it's also kind of more bearable. Yeah. You, when you bring more to it, you get more from it. And I was reading about the experience of waiting in line. So first off, a hack about waiting in line. And it, and this is frustrating because often uh, people don't want to do this, but it is much more efficient to be in a single line for multiple cashiers, say, or multiple checkout agents or whatever, than to have people waiting in individual lines. It's also much less stressful because then you're not worried that you're waiting in the wrong line. So if yes. but often when there is a single line, people will then sneak off and, like, stand in one of the individual lines. And so wow. I don't know if there's a polite way to remind somebody, it's more efficient to be in a single line. So yeah. that's what we're doing here. But if there is a single line, you should feel grateful because that's a more efficient way for people to move through the line. Apparently, it moves um, about three times faster that way.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so Gretchen, what else did you learn about waiting in line?
1: Okay, so we all know that when you wait in line, the experience sometimes... Doesn't bother you. Sometimes the line seems to be taking forever and you can get very agitated. And so here are some points from a very interesting paper I will post a link to called The Psychology of Waiting Lines by David Meister. And then this is aimed at the people who operate restaurants and stores mm. and doctor's offices and whatever where people are waiting to help them manage the line standards. But I do think if you're standing in line, it's helpful to understand why you're experiencing what you're experiencing. So one of the first things that he points out is very obvious, but it's helpful, which is that unoccupied time passes more slowly than occupied time. So, you got to say, I mean, Alyssa, don't you think like the cell phone, the smartphone has been such oh, a gift to people uh, yes. dealing with people waiting in lines?
0: A hundred percent. The biggest game changer of all time. Yeah.
1: But in the, you know, the olden days, sometimes hotels would put mirrors by elevators because that's a way people occupy themselves is by looking at themselves in the mirror, which I think uh-huh.
0: is funny. Um, it's funny. I have a doctor's office where there's always a really long wait and they have coffee in the uh, waiting room, which I do think, you know, is one of those things where it's like, oh, I'm here having a cup of right. coffee. I'm not just waiting. I'm having coffee. Well, and you have
1: to go up and fix it and all that. And that occupies you. Absolutely. So another point about waiting in lines is that people want to get started. So this explains something that's always kind of mystified me, which is, let's say you're in the doctor's office, how they move you into a room and then you sit there for 25 minutes and you're like, wait, I thought I, you yeah, know, Or why restaurants will hand out menus sometimes when you're standing in line. It's because it makes you feel like you're starting.
0: That makes sense.
1: Another one that is really obvious is that anxiety makes wait seem longer. So mm. I think where you see this is like on a plane where people are like, Am I going to be able to fit my bag in the overhead compartment? That makes you feel like you just, you just like, you want to get into that plane so badly and like get yourself
0: situated. Or if you're yes. worried that you're in the slowest Or lowest if you have line. a connecting flight. Oh,
1: connecting flight. Yeah. Yes. What is longer yeah. than the taxi on the plane when you need to make a connecting yes. flight? Oh my gosh, yes. Yes. So here's, here's something that, that I think once you hear it, it's obvious, but I had never thought about it, which is that. Uncertain waits are longer than known finite waits. And so when people know how long they're going to have to wait, they're calmer. And um, I experienced Mm -hmm. this myself because, like, I was at a doctor's office and I arrived like 30 minutes early. For You know, New York City, sometimes you're like, you know, just randomly everything breaks your way. So I got there really early and I was perfectly patient. Until my appointment started. And then when it was time for my appointment and I was like, okay, now it's time for me to start. Then I was very, very impatient because I was like, well, I know that like at 1030, I'll start. But at 1035, I was like, how long am I going to be here? I could be here all day.
0: And Gretz, you know what that reminds me of is at Disneyland, they have signs like line from yes. here is 45 minutes, 15 minutes from here. And often it actually goes faster than what yes. they say, but they give you the most time. And then if you get there sooner, it feels like, yes. well, that wasn't so bad, even if you were waiting in line 45 minutes. Right.
1: So they're managing expectations and also kind of giving you a sense of like how to just sort of pacing yourself. So yeah, I think that's, that's a brilliant, I mean, I'm sure... Of everyone who studied waiting in line, I'm sure Disney is like world expert center. They probably have like a whole department that's just about how to manage that. Well, back to the idea of that occupied time. I remember going to the Harry Potter world with Eleanor. We were so enchanted by all the things they had for you to look at and notice when you were waiting in line. Like they really thought about having all these moments of discovery. So now we know why. Well, and this one is very obvious, I think, to everyone, which is that an unexplained wait seems longer than an explained wait. You know, you're more patient when you understand why things are taking longer.
0: Yes, that's for sure. And I
1: remember when, back when I was um, pregnant with Eleanor, I was in my OBGYN's office and like there was a wait. it was like going up really long and everybody was starting to get very restless. And then the nurse came out and said, we're sorry about the wait, but there is a, a woman pregnant with triplets who's in distress. So all the doctors are helping this one patient. And everybody was like, oh, fine you know, whatever you need, like we can wait. Yes,
0: take your time. Because
1: once we understood what was going on, then we felt very differently about waiting.
0: Yeah, I think that's common at the OB's office. I had that happen where they came out and told me, your doctor had to do a C-section, you know, emergency C-section. So she's coming back from the hospital and you go, oh, okay, great. No problem. Right, right, right. Another thing that
1: I had never really thought about, but it seems obviously true, is that unfair waits seem longer than fair waits so like, if you feel like people aren't standing in line, but they're just crowding to the front when you've been patiently waiting, uh, that makes the yes. waiting seem harder. Here's an interesting thing, but, which he recommended, which is that you should never have people helping people on the phone in the presence of people being helped in real mm. life. Or, or or like a person on the phone shouldn't get preference over somebody in real life, because we sort of have this feeling that if you're in line, you have more priority. And so they're like, don't give customer yes. service by phone in the same room as room as people who are doing it, And which I thought was so true. I never thought about that. Very good advice. And then this is obvious. The more valuable the service, the longer people will wait more patiently. Like I've walked out of a drugstore because I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to wait in line for 10 minutes to buy a toothbrush. But, you know, if I'm buying something, same. yeah, really important. And then also, if you're by
0: yourself. you're picking up medicine, you'll wait. Yeah, exactly.
1: And then finally, like, uh, solo waits seem longer than group waits. And so if you're engaging with other people or you're, like, talking in the movie line, time seems to move faster.
0: Yeah, well, you know, and a lot of times I think people deal with this by chatting with people in the line. Yes. Even if they're alone, they'll comment like, oh, I don't, last week I was here and there was no line. Or... Oh, uh, I hope it's not raining by the time we get yeah, out yeah, of yeah. here. Or whatever, and it does help to create camaraderie in the line. I think once people are chatting with each other, they feel less resentful yes. about waiting than when those people are having their turn. So that's
1: a good thing to think about. Is if you're feeling really impatient, think about. And also, we just tend to get a boost from connecting with people generally. So that's a very good way to deal with it if you're feeling frustrated or bored waiting in line. is like, see if you can strike up a conversation with someone else. Or listen, you know, we talked about this a while back. Like, you can also tell yourself that you're doing waiting in line meditation.
0: Yes, yes. This is my waiting in line meditation. Yes, we talked about a toothbrushing meditation yeah. and a vegetable chopping meditation and a getting gas yeah, meditation. Right. You can have a meditation about anything. Yes. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you feel very high-minded and wise. <laughs> Yes, yes.
1: Well, I have to say, just knowing more about line and just analyzing the experience of waiting in line makes it more interesting. And less of a happiness stumbling block because it's easier not to get caught up in restlessness or impatience or frustration because you're sort of like, oh, I understand what's going on here. And if I were going to organize things, how would I do them differently? And uh, and now I'm going to talk to the person standing in front of me in line and... And then the happiness stumbling block feels less challenging.
0: Indeed. Okay, Gretch, coming up, I give myself a demerit that's also a gold star and a PSA. Ooh. First this break.
1: Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.
0: Grudge, I know from my own experience that baby making is not always simple. There is a lack of knowledge surrounding how to get pregnant. And when you want to conceive, there can be a lack of understanding and resources. Frida Fertility is the only one-stop shop that makes it easier to make a baby with a set of solutions for everything from reproductive health to uh, ovulation tracking to conception aid.
1: Okay, Alyssa, it's time for demerits and gold stars. This is an even episode, which means it's your turn to talk about a demerit. And I'm intrigued by this this triple, this, this demerit that's also a gold star <laughs> and also a PSA.
0: Yes. So, you know, I'm attempting to have my summer of health, yes. right? Going to doctors, doing healthy things. Part of that is getting a colonoscopy because I need to get one. So I finally called to make my appointment. And so here's the sort of the demerit. So the gold star is I called to make an appointment. Gold star. Gold star to me for that. Yes. The demerit is, of course, what I didn't take into account is by the time I called to make the appointment, I can't, first I need a consult, then the procedure. Well, I can't get into the consult until sort of mid to late August, Mm -hmm. which, and of course, then it'll be weeks after that when I have the actual procedure, which just means my thing that I wanted to accomplish during my summer of health will likely not be till fall and fall is when I'll be working Mm -hmm. again, which will make it less convenient. So my, the PSA part of this is remember when you're calling to make one of these kind of big appointments that, you know, tend to uh, fill up, go ahead and call today because that doesn't mean you're going to have to go tomorrow. Like if you're sort of like, "Eh, I don't feel like doing that for weeks. I want to kind of put it off. Yeah, You're still putting it off (laughs) by calling. By the time you call, when you're ready to get it, you won't be able to get it then. So just do yourself a favor and call today. Yeah, whatever it is. Which is what I wish I'd done when I announced my summer of health. I should have called that day Instead, I'm like, "Oh,'ll deal with that next week, next week, finally called, and now I have to wait." Yeah, so that's it, Gretch. Yeah, and I will
1: also mention that a couple listeners uh, emailed to remind everybody about the Cologuard option, which is something that I did, so that's also out there for people for whom that is the uh, yes. would be an appropriate response.
0: Yes. Okay, Gretchen,
1: what is your gold star? Well, I'm giving a gold star to Eleanor. Now, this is going back several weeks to the end of school. But Eleanor, kind of out of nowhere, at the end of her junior year, which is like, you know, an incredibly intense time. She was studying and taking the ACT. She had to worry about all of her grades for her junior year. But she just, I remember her her sitting on the sofa and all of a sudden she just, I saw like the light bulb go off over her head. Like rarely have I seen someone have an idea so Mm -hmm. explicitly. Dramatically. Yeah. Um, Now there's a bunch of backstory here, like a bunch of different threads coming together that I won't get into. But what she decided to do was she decided to have a runway show and she loves thrift stores and kind of putting together looks. So she's like, I'm going to do a runway show. And I'm going to put together these looks and I'm going to ask my friends to do it. And I'm going to do a playlist and I'm going to organize like a whole show. And I was like, okay. And, you know, part of me was like, is this the right time to do that? But then I'm like, hey, you know, over to her. She did it. And she didn't want it. Any- it was funny. She didn't want anybody's help because she's like, I want to control every aspect of this. I don't want people weighing in. Like, I want to do every piece of costume the music the pacing how it was organized she worked with the school to get permission to use a space she had to i think like 22 people participated so she had to organize them
0: wow
1: she found all these clothes and put them together and all these like crazy the the theme of it was more is more and so they were kind of very crazy over-the-top outfits and the good lesson for me is, A, you can just do something. You can just make up your mind to do it. I was like astonished like to the degree right. to which she just up and did it. And also, it's like as a parent or like as a kind of a bystander, I would say,
0: mm-hmm. it
1: was really helpful for me to remember something that I know from my own life, which is sometimes you feel like if you have too much on your plate, you should get things off your plate. But sometimes by adding more to your plate, you actually give yourself more energy, more sense of possibility and cheer. Mm. And I think Eleanor actually... I, it wasn't despite the fact that she had all these things going on. I think it was because of the fact that she was doing all these things going on. She found something where it was just, it was fun. It was playful. It was a totally different kind of thing. And it really, I think, helped her keep going in this very, very demanding time. And so I was like, I'm I'm glad that I didn't try to discourage her from doing it or say like, why do you yes. wait until the fall? Would, like you don't have so much, when the stake, you know, we don't have so much going yes. on because now I'm not saying that would always be true for every child in every situation, part of it is I knew Eleanor and, and, and she's also kind of knows herself very yes. well, but nevertheless, I give her a big gold star for just having this vision and like three weeks later doing it. Executing. Executing.
0: <laughs> well, and Gretch, I would say like having looked at a lot of the fashion show pictures yeah. on the Instagram that it, everyone participating looked like they were having so much yes. fun and it kind of Gave her classmates and schoolmates something yes. fun to do in the middle of a very stressful period, which for them didn't take a lot of yes. work because they just showed up and she yes. said, wear this. Yeah. And it was like, looked like a very communal event. Yes. Like people were watching yeah. and clapping and yeah. it looked like so much fun. So it had another added benefit for all of her Classmates. No, I think
1: that's really true. Like it, like she was in charge of it, but everybody was participating and I think everybody felt really good about it. Yeah. And yeah, so it was really wonderful. So I want to give a gold star to Eleanor and, and to all her classmates who participated in the school who like gave her the, the room to do it too. Like they made it very easy yes. for her to like organize the room in a runway fashion. Uh, The resources for this week, if you are trying to make or break a habit, you can download my checklist for habit change. It's a one-page chart, and it can help you think through all the strategies that you could use to make or break our habit. In my book, Better Than Before, I describe the 21 strategies we can use. And often with an important habit, you might use multiple strategies, which is actually a lot easier than it sounds. That sounds very complicated, but it's actually not so hard. I think up for 22 for 22 lists, Elizabeth, we've seen a lot of habits being mentioned as part of this list mm. that people are trying to make or break. So if you're looking for that, it's at gretchenrubin.com resources. You scroll down to Better Than Before. It's a resource that is associated with my book, Better Than Before. Also, if you enjoy our Try This at Home tips, which we do every single week, you might also enjoy my Happiness and Good Habits newsletter. So that's every two weeks. It's practical tips to your inbox. You can get that by going to happiercast.com slash preferences. You can learn more and sign up there. So Elizabeth, what are we reading? What are you reading? I am still reading How to Win the Bachelor by Chad Kulkin and Lizzie Pace. And I'm reading Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead by Olga Tokarchuk. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Find a metaphor that works for you. Let us know if you tried
0: it and what metaphor you chose. Thank you to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, and everyone at Cadence 13. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter, at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at And here it comes. Once again, I'm going to say it over and over. If you like this show, please be
1: sure to tell <laughs> a friend. Somebody just emailed us and said, "I've I've told 50 friends about it. And I'm like, well, then you get 50 gold stars. Oh. Thank you. That is... How Thank people, you. <laughs> that is how people discover the show. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward. So, Alicia, I love recording from my little home office because it's so convenient. But in the summer, I have to turn off the air conditioning because my air conditioning unit is so loud. And Chuck's like, no, we can definitely hear your air conditioning unit. And so I get very hot. So I'm very hot.
0: (laughs) Yes, I can imagine.
1: From the Onward Project... all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework.